Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Tim Carstens, who's the CEO of Base Resources. They're an ASX mineral sands company. They've got two assets, one in Kenya, Kowale, and another in Madagascar, Toliara. Um, these operations are trying to find uh, rutile ilmenite and zircon used in the uh, pigments uh, industry. Uh, Kenya has been a big cash cow for them, um, although they're coming to end of life on their main target in 2023. They've got a secondary much lower grade project. So the business will continue, probably at much reduced uh, output and uh, much reduced cash flow. However, Madagascar is where the excitement is, plus 50 year life of mine, similar operation to Kenya. They know what they're doing. DFS complete in December. We'll need to get this thing financed. The other hurdle they're going to need to get over is discussion with the Madagascan government with regards to terms. So royalty, taxes, etc. That could be another quarter or two, says Tim. But I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, Tim. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for joining us from, the, from your Perth office, it looks like. It's, it's actually nice being in the Perth office as opposed to sitting on aeroplanes and feeling like you live your life in the business class lounge in Dubai Airport. Oh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a, new, a new world when we, when we all get back to normal, a new way of working. Well, look, what, um, Tim, why don't we kick off with that one minute overview of the business and then we, we'll pick it up from there. Yeah, I guess the uh, the fundamentals of our business is we're, we're a mineral sands company. Um, we, uh, we built our first mine, the Koala. Um, operation commissioned that in 2013 and it's it's been an extremely successful uh, mineral development. Uh, in 2018 we took the big step of acquiring um, I guess the next iteration of, of base uh, in the Toliara project in Madagascar. It's given us a really strong growth path um, for us to apply our, our pretty well-honed business model uh, to. Um, and we've uh, been you know, busily uh, progressing that through the study phase, got our definitive feasibility study out at the end of last year, uh, and we've got a pretty clear plan from here on how we how we grow our business. Right. Okay. So we've got we're in uh, Kenya and we're in Madagascar there. Um, and again, just again, because there are quite a few new people to this, and mineral sands is you know perhaps not as well known as the, the regular stuff. So you're talking about retail ilmenite and zircon. So just explain what that what you know what the uses are. Yeah. Okay. Um, ilmenite and rutile are just different forms of titanium dioxide, basically. Uh, rutile being considerably higher grade. So in our world, rutile is 95.5 percent titanium dioxide, and ilmenite's uh, in our case about 50 percent titanium dioxide. 95% um, of all of that uh, produced in the world goes into the production of pigment uh, that's used in you know, papers, plastics, paints, you name it. Um, the balance of it goes into things like um, titanium metal, uh, but also it's used in the welding industry and for a few other applications. Um, that's, that represents about 75% of our revenue, uh, those two products um, at, uh, at Quale. Uh, the other 25% roughly is zircon, um, the majority of which is used in uh, in the ceramics industry you know, as a, uh, an opacifier in tiles and uh, bathroom wear and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so let's let's start with um, Kenya, Kowale, okay, because that, that, that was the first project. Um, that, you, you've been running that a while. It's generating uh, cash, 
the business seems to be running quite smoothly. Um, we talked last time about safety records and uh, mainly because it's a very simple process in a way. We're not sort of you know going deep down underground. Um, can you sort of explain the process to people so they get a feel of what type of operation it is? Um, I mean, the mining, the mining uh, process is simple. The, uh, <laughs> as my technical guys tell me, the, uh, the, the, the processing is as much art as science. Um, you know, it's, it's relatively complex. That's, that's where the magic happens. I mean, from a mining perspective, at uh, Koala, we use what's called hydro mining. Uh, so basically, a series of big water cannons just blasting the face uh, with water, creating slurry that gets collected um, through um, channels in the bottom of the pit uh, and to a, a sump and then pumped up to the plant. Uh, and then you know, we go through basically three uh, processes. The first is to remove the slime fraction clay uh, from the sand, then goes through a conventional gravity concentration process uh, using large banks of spirals um, to produce a heavy mineral concentrate, and then that goes into the mineral separation plant to produce the, the three uh, finished products of Ilmina, Rutile and Zircon. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, that's, that's it. It's a, it's a relatively simple um, process. There are no chemicals added other than a bit of flocculant to help settle the clay. Um, beyond that, it's purely physical separation, which makes it a really benign sort of environmental uh, process and, and particularly good for, you know, bringing a mining operation to an environmentally sensitive place like Madagascar. It's certainly a good place to start. Absolutely. See, and, and th there is a kind of um, process I want to go through. So let's, let's um, talk about the numbers that are coming out of uh, Kuala, you know, you know, why people were encouraged when you started talking about a second project. So run through the, ba the basic numbers on Kuali for us. Well, I mean, one, one of the reasons we liked the project in the first place was it has a very high revenue to cash cost ratio, uh, which is the way you typically compare mineral sand um, projects. Uh, when we're in the central June, which was our higher grade June that we finished uh, midway through last year, um, our RC ratio was up around, you know, 2.8. Um, it's now we're in the lower grade south June. We're down around 2.3, 2.4. Still put places at the top of the pile, if you like, in terms of global um, competitors. Um, just to put that in context, Toliara, uh, we're expecting to be above three. Uh, that's one of the real features of that project that we like. Um, so high revenue to cash cost ratio was one of the attractants. The other was it, um, Kuala generates a lot of cash. Um, you know, our EBITDA this year will be you know, around a little over 100 million US. Um, it's been that, at that level for the last couple of years. Notwithstanding the reduction in grade, we've been able to increase mining and, and um, production plant throughputs um, so that we've been able to maintain um, a similar sort of uh, cash generation. So very significant um, cash engine for our business. I guess the biggest weakness of Kuala was its mine life. Um, when we started out of mine life of 11 years, um, and that will take us through to around 2023, end of 2023, uh, which again, putting that in context, uh, one of the reasons we like um, Toliara is just on the basis of the, what's in the measured and indicated category in the resource at the moment, um, that's a 33-year mine life, and that's based on only half of the current resource, uh, which we're about to expand. So you can see that... Now that asset's going to be a you know, 7,500-year type mine life um, operation, totally different 
high revenue to cash cost ratio and even higher cash generation. You know, we're looking at something around the, based on the DFS, around the mid-130 uh, million a year free And we'll come on to that. I just want to sort of finish off, you know, the the, the plan at Koala. Obviously, you talked about the, you know, the short sure. mind of life, uh, life of mind there, um, slightly lower grade stuff that you're going through at the moment. I mean, and it has thrown off a lot of cash. It, 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 it's definitely done that that for you. And yeah, I guess you've, you've learned a thing or two along the way as well. But what happens when that, can, can you extend that? Are you looking in Kenya for additional resource where you're able to extend the, the operations there? Or are you going to transfer, migrate everything over to Madagascar? I mean, what, what's the plan? We, we definitely have a plan to extend Kuala um, uh, and I've been working on that um, you know, over the last number of years. Um, as I said, the South June where we're mining now, um, that will finish up around the end of 2023. Um, we're completing a, a pre-feasibility study at the moment for our third June called the North June, um, which is bigger again. It's about another 170 million tonnes, but quite low grade. So it's about 1.5% uh, heavy mineral on average. The South June where we're mining at the moment is about three and a half. So much lower grade. Um, so we're doing a pre-feasibility study on that to look at how a subset of that would look um, as the very tail end of the of the mining operation. It'll definitely be you know, much lower cash generation than we enjoy now, but you know could quite conceivably um, give us a nice tail that's worth having, or at least extend the operation while we unwrap some of the other opportunities in Kenya we see. Uh, for some higher grade material. So there's there's two what we call priority one targets um, adjacent to the current operation um, that we're working our way through the land access um, requirements to be able to start drilling uh, there. So we're, you know, we're reasonably optimistic that we'll be able to get a drill rig uh, turning in, uh, over the course of 2020, subject to COVID restrictions and, and what have you, but um, yeah, well, that's that's where we see sort of the higher grade opportunity uh, that we would bring in um, ahead of the North June if possible, and if not, you know, we would swap from the North June to one of these areas if they proved uh, to be you know, really attractive. Okay, so you, you intend to you know keep investing in East Africa. In fact, last time we talked about the difference between East Africa versus West Africa, uh, and I think shortly after. Our conversation in whenever it was October, you know, I think someone submitted an article with regards to doing business in West Africa with the kind of uh, terrorist activity with some around some of those gold mines. I think yeah, so. It was a, it was a point well made at the time. Um, do you continue to enjoy a good relationship with the Kenyan government? I mean, you're the, one of the largest mines in Kenya. Um, are they encouraging you to stay? I mean, and if so, what do those conversations look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we're, we're 65 to 70% of the Kenyan mining industry. Uh, we're the single biggest exporter in the country. Um, so we're you know, reasonably significant to, uh, to Kenya. We're, we're officially anointed as one of their uh, Vision 2030 flagship uh, operations. So quite, quite high um, profile. Um, to give you some idea of, of the alignment we have with government, the, the Principal Secretary to the Ministry of Mining um, has as one of his KPIs the extension of Kuala Mine Life. So, you know, we, we do have a high degree of alignment on that. They recognise the need if they're going to have a, a mining industry to see Kuala continue. Um, and we, we, we enjoy that sort of relationship as a consequence. 
because you you've invested a lot of money um, in in terms of your giving back to the community. I know you talk, you said that CSR is a band phrase. It's it's sort of a, a community partnership, uh, if you if you will, and also with the government. And I understand why and why you'd want to do that in regards to. Um, you know, get getting endorsement if you do move to another jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. But are you seeing a sort of change in the way that the African governments are interacting with companies? Because again, we've seen various states try and renegotiate uh, position, re- renegotiate royalties, taxes, corporate or mm-hmm. otherwise. Is that any of those types of noises being made in Kenya? Yeah, look, I mean, we've, we've, we've certainly been having a discussion with the government about increasing the royalty rate from that that's locked down in our investment agreement. Um, you know, the, the royalty rate applying to our project is 2.5%, uh, which is, is low by, by global um, standards these days. You know, South Africa, Australia, the mineral sand royalties are around 5%. Um, so we, you know, we've, we've certainly been having those discussions. But at the same time, you've got a government that's been quite... Um, disciplined in abiding by the investment agreement that we struck that on which the development took place so you know, Kenya Kenya does have good respect for the rule of law in, in that in that respect albeit have a completely legitimate desire to try and get the maximum return they can out of the, out of the mining industry um, but they do also understand that you know if, if you play hard with your existing miners then it causes anyone else looking to come in to think twice and and you, you devalue the government's paper quite quickly. So there's a, there's a good understanding of that dynamic in general. Okay. And obviously COVID-19, we, we can't have a conversation about money without talking about COVID-19 as impact on the business. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been happening in, in Kenya? How are, they, how are they controlling it? How are you controlling it? What measures are you taking? Or have you taken? Yeah, well, I'm certainly um, looking at our... Um, sort of our approach, what, what we did immediately was reduce the number of people on site. So any any uh, functions that could be uh, undertaken off site were taken off site. Uh, and we, we reduced the number of people on site by about 32% um, to just you know, minimise our, our risk. And then implemented all of the usual measures to, you know, hold uh, or to minimise transmission in terms of testing and, you know, bus protocols. Um, um, you know, changed operating arrangements to keep people apart, you know, fairly stock standard stuff now. Um, and then we've worked very closely with the government to be able to fit around their various measures as they brought them in so that we've been able to maintain operations. So when, when they introduced the curfew, uh, we had to modify our shift, ro- our, um, shift rosters to, to fit within that. Um, there were some cross-border, county-border uh, restrictions put in place and we had to work with the government to, to work out how we were going to continue to operate in that world. Um, and it's, it's all been seamless, to be honest. We haven't had any interruption to production. And I guess the biggest thing we watch for is um, we will continue to operate while it is sensible for us to do so and we enjoy the support of our employers and our communities. So you, you can envision that your point could come where there's a sense that people gathering together to work at, at the Guala operation um, is contributing to community risk. Um, and that's the point at which we would probably say, look, it's, it's time that we, we threw that in uh, the operation into neutral. But you know, we're not nowhere near that. Um, the number of cases in Kuala County is you know, in the 30s. 
Uh, we haven't had any um, any employee uh, test positive or indeed their families. Uh, so at the moment, we're not seeing that sort of risk emerging and everyone seems quite comfortable if we continue to do what we're doing. Um, I have to say the way Kenya has gone about managing this has been um, pretty impressive given the, um, the limited uh, resources it has. Um, they've, they've been pretty clear on in the way they've gone about it. They haven't you know, gone to follow a, a, a flatten the curve strategy that you know, makes sense in other countries but doesn't in a, a country where the health system, you know, there's almost no way of flattening the curve to a point where it can fit in the health system. They've had to be a bit more nuanced uh, in it. Uh, and it, it's been relatively successful. I mean, yes, they have 2,500 active cases, um, but you know they've, they've got a pretty pretty well controlled. One of the things that's interesting though is we're not seeing as many people in Kenya develop or the proportion of people develop the more severe um, um, symptoms or cases. And one of the one of the theories there are two kind of theories to it. One is that the sort of uh, battery of inoculations that people routinely get in, in Kenya for things like uh, uh, tuberculosis and, and the like um, actually has some efficacy in either preventing you catching COVID or at least um, uh, deteriorating to some of the worst um, sort of symptoms. So we're not seeing the deaths, we're not seeing the, the hospital system being overwhelmed by uh, people needing ventilation, uh, we're not seeing any of that. It's, uh, it's been quite interesting, quite a different dynamic from you know, the UK or the US for that matter. Okay. Well, that, that, that's good news. I mean, that's fantastic news. You, you want to hear stories like that. Um, but you Aussie boys are doing quite well on that front as well, aren't you? Um, I want to talk about learnings. Okay. What have, what have you learned? Okay. So when we spoke in October, you're up there, you know, you were 30, 30 cents. You're down around 14. You haven't been that low for about four years or so. And I want to, and I want to try and understand why. Okay. Because You've clearly got a good business, and we haven't even touched upon obviously what could be a real company maker in Madagascar. But um, so you're at half the price you were in, say, October. Obviously, we've had a few big things happen. We've had a market reset just before COVID, and then we've had COVID, and everyone's experienced that kind of that dip, that trough. But in some sectors, we've seen an immediate you know V-shaped recovery. Gold, in particular, uh, silver, you know, to a degree. Um, you guys haven't seen that. Is what's what's going on in the background with your institutional um, shareholders? Um, are they seeing something that we need to be aware of, or is this just normal in the course of investment? People are going to offload every every now and again because you started making recovery, it fell sharply. Do you know what's going on in the marketplace? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you've got to have a look at. I mean. Let's just talk about the structure of our register. Um, you know, the, the, the top two shareholders hold just short of 50%. The top four hold 70%. The top 20 hold 90-something percent. Um, and all of our major shareholders, uh, with one exception, um, over the last 12 months have been, you know, picking up stock as they go along. Our biggest two shareholders... Um, can't now because they've kind of reached the limits under the regulatory sort of uh, requirements in Australia. Um, so their ability to continue to top up at the moment is limited. Um, so our, our share price to a certain extent is set by the marginal high net worth kind of um, investor, the, the top 10%, if you like, of our register. 
Um, now, we, we did see our share price fall off a cliff. I think immediately before what you described as sort of the onset of COVID, we were sitting at about 26 cents. Um, we did the big capital raising for Toliara back in at the end of 2017, and that was done at 25 and a half. So we basically tracked sideways uh, through to uh, uh, to pre-COVID, and then COVID hit, and and we fell off a cliff. Um, I guess t tackling it in two parts. You know, why has our share price not moved? reflecting the value we've been progressively unwrapping um, with Toliara, particularly getting the DFS out in, in December. Um, one of the challenges with it has been, one, Madagascar is a bit of an unknown quantity for people. Um, two, uh, we've been quite clear that we have to answer two really key questions in the mind of the market for them to understand what Toliara is going to mean for the company. One, the first of those is locking down the fiscal terms that are going to apply to the project in terms of royalty rate uh, and the stability regime. And the second is how are you going to fund it? You know, what does the funding look like? Um, and, and while people have been, have had the view that, oh, look, there's a big capital raise coming to develop Toliara, um, it's pretty difficult to get people to move uh, in buying the stock because there's you know, some a material um, uh, dimension that isn't understood. So we, we've been pretty clear about that. And we knew we just needed to be patient to, to get that out. Um, and and that's, we're still in the middle of that process and then COVID has slowed us down. The second issue has been, um, uh, you know, the sudden drop around uh, COVID. And I guess if, if I look at the way we've been impacted specifically, you know, it brought us down to 15 cents. Um, some of our peers haven't been affected in quite the same way. Um, if you are valuing us just on the basis of quality cash flows because you're not clear yet about what Toliara means, um, you're looking at Quale as having four years, let's say, of my life left. So if COVID is going to make a mess of the markets for the next 12, 18 months, let's say, you know, that's going to have a disproportionately big impact on what you're valuing us on if that's what you're doing, um, than on a company that might have a mine line for 50 years. So you, you can kind of see why you, you would have that, uh, that effect. Um, what people are missing, I think, in, in applying that logic is just how much cash Huawei actually generates. Now, we're looking, as I said, you know, this, this year will be another $100 million US year. Um, the sort of production volumes we're seeing now are the sort of production volumes we're going to see over the remaining life of, of Quale. Um, so you simply cannot justify the current share price on the basis of, of Quale cash flows. It just doesn't make sense, but we need to get people focused back on that. Okay, so let's break down some of those things because I think we need to just dig a little bit deeper. So you're in discussions with the Madagascan government over terms. They, they want to understand uh, well, they, they want better terms. So how are those conversations going? What are they asking for? What are you pushing back with? Yeah, look, I mean, the discussions with us have, have effectively been overtaken by um, a, a broad-based revision to the mining code. Um, so, um, and, and initially there was a fairly major misstep by the government late last year where um, in the context of that revision to the mining code, they started talking about free carried interest, they started talking about 20% you know, production sharing and this sort of stuff, um, which was, uh, shall we say, not particularly well considered um, and certainly remote from any um, 
expert advice on what that would do to the mining industry. Um, fortunately, post that, the World Bank and a number of other um, independent uh, institutions provided advice to the government um, and uh, the, the feedback we're getting from government now is that they understand that a much, much more modest revision of the mining code makes sense. Um, they're not talking about free carried interest or production sharing. Um, things like a 4% royalty rather than a 2% royalty uh, is kind of where they, they see that moving. From our perspective, would a 4% royalty be fine? Absolutely. I mean, from 2% to 4% is about a $35 million MPV impact on a, a project with a, you know, an MPV of $650 million. So it's kind of in the noise. Um, so that's, that's where that's tracking at the moment. Um, we're being encouraged by government to lodge our application for the what's called the Large Mine Investment Regime, which is the stability mechanism in Madagascar. So we're preparing that at the moment, and we look to get that into play with the government in the in the coming weeks. Um, and I, I'm quite um, positive that we'll we'll see a resolution to the fiscal terms and stability over the next quarter or two. Okay, you talked about um, the market being affected for 12 to 18 months, okay? And I guess there's two components to that. One, the market's or your ability to get financing or attract financing in an environment like that. And two, people's perception of, I guess, consumer behavior, which will affect, you know, your, your market, the pigment market uh, during that time. And I think there's lots of sectors which are, you know, worried about that, you know. EVs, uh, you know, battery markets especially. But what are, you, what are you seeing happening during this 12 to 18 months? I mean, is it just, well, business as usual, we'll do what we can do and we'll let others worry about um, what's happening in the market? Um, what, 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 so what do you do during this period? I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. Well, we, we, we don't see a, a market scenario that would um, motivate us to reduce output. Um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't see that. Um, we do see price decline uh, and price pressure. But the other thing that you've got to sort of factor in here on the other side of the equation is, yes, demand um, has held up till now. Um, we're expecting to see it drop off a little bit over the next quarter or two. Um, but at the same time, there's been supply um, curtailment. So we've seen reduced supply out of India. We've seen reduced supply out of South Africa. Um, so that's starting to... I won't say it's evened up the balance because it hasn't. There's been a greater demand drop than supply drop, but it's a factor. Um, so I guess having the conversation now, um, I wouldn't say that we are expecting the sort of impact that we might have been thinking was possible if we were having this conversation two months ago. You know, I think, you know, will we see price reduction? Yeah, we will, but it's not going to be... Know, something that we'd be, it's certainly not going to see a return to pricing that we saw back in 2016 when the world was awash with supply. Um, you know, won't, won't be down around those levels. You know, we're, we're seeing pretty level pricing as we're heading into Q3. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. We won't see significant reductions. And what do you think that's going to do for like new competition, new entrants in the market? Because we, we've spoken to companies talk, you know, talking about it, but they're going to face the same sorts of issues, especially with single assets. So 
Is that a good thing for you? I'm trying, I'm trying to work out what's a good thing for you that the market conditions are like they are and pricing is like you're well, suggesting. We're in the same situation in the sense that, um, you know, it, it, if I'm right and we're able to resolve the fiscal terms issue with government over the next quarter or two, that's actually not going to be the thing that stops us moving forward with Toyara. It's going to be when can we get global travel happening again so we can get our people back in the country and, you know, we can get the financing um, um, moving with site visits and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, what sort of state are the financial markets going to be in next year? They're, more, they're the things that are going to dictate how fast we can bring Toliara into production. Um, and they're the things that apply to all the other projects that are trying to get into production. So the sort of conga line of projects we saw before COVID, they're all still there um, and they've all been moved back. Uh, and in our view, Toliara still sits at the front of the queue, albeit the whole thing's been moved back a bit. And so why did you draw down your full 75 million bucks facility at that time? What was the thinking? Yeah, look, um, I guess out of an abundance of caution. Um, now, for a number of reasons. I mean, one, we've got a really healthy cash balance. But, you know, you're sitting at the end of March, um, you think where the world was then. Um, weren't entirely clear quite where this was going to go. Uh, one of the learnings from past crises is, you know, he who has the most liquidity wins. Um, so we wanted to ensure we had maximum flexibility. We didn't want to take the risk around the financial um, condition or preparedness to lend of our lenders. You know, don't want to suddenly discover you need it in, you know, October, um, and you discover that all of your lenders have been hit by every man his dog, and there's just no liquidity. Um, so we just we just took a preemptive step to um, to draw it down. Um, it cost us about a half a million dollars a quarter net to to carry that as surplus liquidity. Uh, we bought we drew it out for six months. Um, we'll we'll reassess the need for that when we get towards a sort of early September and decide whether it's, you know the same circumstances provide. Okay, and I. I- well, I read somewhere that I think that facility would have fallen to about fifty million this time next year. Um, so, yeah. like it's you said, take it while you can or get it while you can. So that was born out of caution. Say, I want the ability to be liquid, um, rather mm-hmm. than saying, oh, I've got another target lined up because that was again something that no, people were talking no, about. it was it was absolutely out of caution. Um, just making sure we were in the best position we could be, um, heading into a storm of unknown ferocity and duration. Okay. Is there any shorting going on with this? So give, given all of these components which you're trying to resolve, whether it be, you know, Madagascan government, you've got, you know, the, the share price doing what it's doing, the market may be 12 to 18 months in some kind of flux. Yeah. Are you experiencing shorting going on with the stock? No, uh, not at all. I mean, in Australia, you have to report um, short. You're required to report short positions, um, and it's it's not not a feature of our stock at all. Okay. Can I just sort of understand? And this is sort of background stuff for me. It's like when you're selling into the market. Are you selling? How do you sell your product? I know you. Well, actually, yeah. Just tell me. How do you how do you make your money? <laughs> um, uh, look, we have we have a whole range of long term off take agreements uh, with with a panel of customers. Um, and then we have a, a whole roster of Illuminate um, consumers that we just have, you know, regular uh, do regular business with. You know, they built our product into their um, into their blends, uh, and they you know, buy regularly from us. So something like seventy percent of our revenue is under under contract, under long term off take agreement. Right. Okay. 
quite a nice number. Well, let, let's get into Madagascar proper because obviously you, when we talked to you, um, we're getting the DFS done by the end of the year. You're entering conversations about funding, etc. I mean, so what has happened since, let's say, October since we talked? Well, we got the DFS out. Um, that was released in December. Um, you know, it, it was pretty much smack on the, the PFS economics that we released in March. You know, same sort of um, capex. I think the capex was about two million dollar. You know, two or four million dollars more. Um, four hundred and forty odd million um, capex. Uh, MPB is six hundred and fifty million. As I said before, RC ratio of three, north of three. So really robust project. Um, we obviously we talked about the discussions around fiscal terms and the need to lock that down, um, but we've been moving ahead with our financing, uh, and I guess there are two key components to the external financing of the project. Um, one of them is bringing together a, a project financing facility or a, a debt facility along the lines of what we did with Quale, you know, panel of banks. Um, that's been progressing extremely well. Um, the level of interest we've had has been, been high. Uh, we're at the point now where we're starting to appoint uh, lenders to particular roles in the syndicate um, as you know, various different agencies and, and the like. Um, very strong degree of support from the development financial institutions, so the government-backed uh, development institutions, which is fantastic uh, because they're their appetite is more driven by development agendas rather than impacted by, you know, commercial situations and uh, balance sheets. So, you know, less likely to be impacted into next year, uh, which is good. Looking at around the $350 million debt facility is the, is the current thinking. Um, and then running along beside that are uh, some discussions around joint venture participation in the project, um, you know, with a minority equity interest uh, in the project. So... But pushing forward with both of those together. Um, both of those streams are a work are continuing despite sort of COVID lockdowns. Um, but, you know, we, we won't be able to crystallise those until we're able to move people around again, you know, get people into, into country, um, you know, do the various DD site visits uh, and the like. So we're doing as much as we can remotely. And what, what timeline are you aiming for to have all this in place? Look, I mean, it's a million-dollar question, um, and the biggest the biggest issue for us is, and you know, in our most recent quarterly, we we stepped away from our final investment decision timing that we were shooting for, which was the end of September this year, and we haven't announced another one simply because it's a function of how quickly the world bounces back to activity post COVID, international travel being possible. Um, you know, state of financial markets, all that sort of stuff. So we, right now, hard to know. Uh, we're just getting everything lined up as, as best we can. And then as soon as we've got some greater clarity on how those things are going to unwrap, okay. uh, we'll, we'll come out with a new target date. Okay, and I guess it's hard without the agreement of the Madagascan government, though. You mentioned a quarter or two. Who knows? Yeah. Right, okay. Exactly right. Okay, so let's talk about your mindset. So in a, in a bull market... One generally makes one set of decisions. In a bearish market, you make a different set of decisions. There's different degrees of confidence. So, what? How do you, How do you think? Has your changing? Has your sorry? Has your decision making changed over the past few months? Seeing because no one's seen anything like this. You talked. You used the word caution there in terms of drawing down money when you could. How 
else has it affected your decision making, this this whole market? Mar- I mean, if, if I look at our fundamental strategic plan, um, you know, it, it should be independent of bull markets and bear markets in the sense that, you know, it, it's meant to be the, you know, when we think about, you know, how, how do we generate fundamental value um, to the maximum extent uh, and with the right risk profile over much longer cycles than that. Um, it, it potentially impacts on the on the execution um, and, and the timing, but shouldn't directly impact on the plan. Um, that said, uh, we're actually this week having a board workshop that is considering our strategic plan in the context of the world we now see, uh, with the level of resolution that we have. You know, we, we live in a, a world at the moment that can best be described as volatile, uncertain, um, you know, complex and, and ambiguous. And, and so in that environment, how does that change the way we think about strategy and the plan we're on? So we're, we're actually doing some formal work in thinking about that. Um, I guess the other thing it does is, particularly with the delay in the, um, you know, we don't know how long the delay is, but we know it's delayed um, with the Kuali, uh, with the Toliara project. Um, and we know Kuali is continuing to generate significant cash flow. You know, what, what does that what opportunities in terms of capital management does that open up um, that may not have been the case, may not have made the same sense if you were rolling you know, full steam ahead into Toliara development with a, an FID in September? You know, if you take a view that it's out a year or so, you know, what does that mean for capital management? So there's some of the, uh, some of the thinking that's going on. So and, and a phrase that you used last time with me, you, want, you talked about getting... Um, full value in share price for the earnings, right? So obviously it is is a different world. Are you going to have to think differently about the order in which you do things, um, where your focus is, where you spend your money or, or don't spend your money? Yeah, well, look, we certainly need to think about, um, you know, how we allocate capital um, and, and what you know, further risk money you put into something like Italiara development ahead of having certainty around its progression. Um, definitely need to think about that. Um, does the market um, we're in at the moment potentially throw up some interesting corporate opportunities? Hasn't as yet, but that's entirely plausible. So to be honest, um, I, I would, in answer to your question, it's not really an answer, I would say at the moment there is simply insufficient clarity to make any sort of hard jump decisions in any particular direction. Um, the, the better thinking at the moment is, you know, what, what, are the, what are the trends that are emerging that we need to be alive to that could be triggers um, for a change or pathway at some point. Um, so we're, just, we're kind of distilling that at the moment. Okay. And um, Bank of America recently ceased to become a significant shareholder. I think UBS have kind of step, stepped in. Did they talk to you when they do these things or I mean they don't have to but do, do they bother to say look it's just not quite quite fitting our investment uh, thesis look, at the moment how's that work all all of the trade amongst those institutions over the last two years uh, is not real trade it's stock being moved from one pocket to another under prime lending arrangements so it's not real <laughs> 
it's not real. I love it. Oh uh, no, no, it's not. I mean, it's it's all it's all just stock being managed under under those sort of um, structures by another major shareholder. Got it. Okay, fine. Understood. Well, look, Tim, thanks for the update. Um, obviously, tough times for everyone. Um, you you know you're cracking on, which is which is good news. Can't wait to see. Uh, well, hopefully whether it be this quarter or next quarter, whenever you get yourself um, sorted out in Madagascar. Uh, Stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on. Excellent. Well, thanks. Good to chat. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.